0: Welcome to the Moz Monthly Podcast, thorough discussion and in-depth information about the news, stories, and trends related to emergency medical services in Michigan. The Moz Monthly Podcast is brought to you by the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services. Here's your host, MAZ Executive Director, Angela Madden.
1: And welcome to season two, episode four of the Moz monthly podcast. I am your host, Moz executive director, Angela Madden. Joining us today is a distinguished panel of guests from the state EMS division. Welcome Johnny Wagner and Emily Bergquist. From Oakland County Medical Control Authority, welcome Bonnie Kincaid, and guest hosting with me today, the illustrious Director of Operations and All Things Life EMS Ambulance, Craig Dodge. Hi, everybody. How are you today? Very well. Very well. Very Thanks good.
0: for asking. Doing good. Well, Glad to be here.
1: We are extremely grateful for you guys to take some time out of your afternoon to record today's podcast episode with us to talk about a very important topic in EMS, not just here in our state, but nationally as well, and that topic today is data. As we have learned, as Moz has learned, data is extremely important from the reimbursement perspective, from the patient care perspective, and just from the overall licensure perspective as it relates to the number of crew members we have out on our roads today. So Craig and I have put together a couple of questions for each of you to really talk about the broad-based strokes that data plays and the importance that data plays in EMS. So Craig, I'm going to let you take a swing at the first question.
0: Okay. Probably for Johnny or maybe Emily, this first question, um, I know because I've been in my position here at Life EMS for several years. In in fact, I believe probably longer than you all have been in your current position. So I might be predating some of this, but give us an overview of the history of my EMSIS. Now I recall it was in July of 2008 that we transitioned our Kalamazoo operation onto uh, MIEMSIS or onto EPCR at that time. And then we we kind of rolled out the rest of our company over the next several months. Can you give us uh, kind of an overview of MIEMSIS and what has happened since that time?
2: I can take a stab at that. Craig, I was a part of that electronic rollout of the Kalamazoo division way back when.
0: Oh, I did not know that.
2: Yeah, coming from... The uh, Kalamazoo office been in healthcare since 2000. So I grew up in the Kalamazoo system, and the electronic awesome. documentation tool you're speaking of is Mermaid, right? I right, believe, yeah. So we came off paper onto that platform in attempts to start collecting data, yep, and making sense of it. So. I was involved with just that on the the end user side and it was uh, it was different getting off a paper but I mean hindsight it was certainly a necessary tool. Uh, I can't imagine sifting through report after report after report flipping through it manually that that just seems maddening to me. Fast forward to today it's it's evolved. It's my Emsys had a, has had a, a couple of different data standard iterations. Uh, we're on 3.4 right now. And it's certainly, I, I again, had to experience the uh, precursor to Image Trend Elite, State Bridge, it was called. And my first attempt at documenting a cardiac arrest took me two hours in the efficient electronic platform. <laughs> so again, realizing now how very important the data is and having the, the standardizations that it does we're in a much better place now. Fast forward to, to today and, and having the 3.4 dataset.
0: Emily, is there any uh, color commentary you'd like to fill in there? I think that it's
3: important to realize that my MSys and the national EMS data system as well is an evolution. It's. I think we all have to realize that Your first idea is not always the best idea, and there are going to be changes as we move through, and as much as people in EMS don't like change, for perspective, I did work full-time for an ambulance for, oh, 17 years full-time, and then a few years part-time. Even after I came into this office, I I also am old enough to have experienced the transition from paper to electronic charting, and all of the, I don't even want to think about how many extra time time people spent trying to figure out how to do it, et cetera. But right now we sit in 3.4, it's better than we were. 2.2 was a tough system, it was not intuitive, it was not especially accurate, and there were pretty significant issues. 3.4 is not perfect. Um, Moving into the next couple of years, we'll be moving into 3.5, it will also not be perfect but the idea is, is we are all growing together as a system to get our data better, more accurate, and more valuable as we continue to grow.
0: Yeah, and I can really concur with all of that because uh, we, we struggled here at Life EMS Ambulance with the, the prior product before 3.4. Uh, we even had medics that were losing PCRs. They would be halfway or all the way through a PCR and it would just disappear somewhere into the ethernet. And uh, the 3.4 product seems to be much, much more stable. We, we are not losing PCRs and it seems like the overall quality of the data has improved quite a bit. Emily, can you, can you tell us about uh, what are some of the challenges that are going on right now? I know there are still some challenges that uh, the state is facing with my emsis So what are the challenges and the big issues right now?
3: So I think a few challenges are one, there are a few of us and many people using the system. So, um, We do support ImageTron Elite, which is a documentation tool. Not everyone in the state uses it, but most EMS agencies, actual agencies, use it. And most of those users are not technologically gifted individuals. They're people who have other jobs, and data and documentation is not their primary gig. So I think part I think one of our greatest struggles is how do we best support those people because their data is also still valuable. How do we manage to make our documentation tool that we're providing better? And I mean, we've learned even in the last couple of weeks working on this in the background, you know, primary impression, for example, a volunteer person documenting a medical first responder report probably doesn't need 900 primary impressions to choose from. And that is our responsibility to clean up. So that's one of the things that we sit with is how do we support the people who are putting into the system? How do we support the system itself? How do we make sure what we're providing is the best thing that we can, while also still assessing the quality that's in the system? And so really, in our office, there's only really three of us that have any sort of capability in the data system. That's Kevin, our data manager, Johnny and myself. And Johnny had the privilege or curse of starting in our office while Kevin was on a medical leave. (laughs) And so we kind of learned side by side a system that neither one of us really knew. I was a paramedic and an operations supervisor, but certainly not someone who knew a lot about the backside of data until we came into this office. So I think our biggest struggle is we know that we're not perfect and we're trying really hard. And my MSIS is not a perfect system, but because of the kind of vendor a state repository is, there isn't a lot of option out there. You can't just like pick up the millions literally of records and move them somewhere else if you're dissatisfied. So I think that is our, our, in our office, our biggest struggles is how do we support the system and how do we make the system better?
0: How are you doing with getting agencies onto the system? The, the last I understood, I thought pretty much all of the transporting agencies in the state were on board, but you still had some MFR agencies that are not even on the system. Is that still true?
3: No, Um, no. (laughs) go ahead, Johnny, you
2: can. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're all on board. Um, Good, okay. All all 810 licensed DMS agencies use the system or either either use the system directly or the documentation tool. uh, One of the 18 software vendors maps back to us. So every agency submits.
0: Awesome. And what would you say is the overall quality of the data that you're getting now?
2: hard to quantify it's certainly much better than it used to be as Emily mentioned the the 2.2 um, data was kind of messy the 3.4 is is certainly more standardized than the 2.2 and and moving f- we're in-house and partnering with the data subcommittee making this particular standard set better as she as Emily said we have piles of, of primary impressions. We've scrolled through um, lookup lists for medications, for procedures, just trying to streamline kind of the 80/20 rule and and get get the most people speak in the same language that we can, and that makes the data better. better so the data. data. Go ahead.
1: So the data collected by caregivers on the road through an EPCR, it can be, and I could see how it could be extremely valuable for public health officials, policymakers, yourselves within the EMS division, other healthcare providers, et cetera. Bonnie, how valuable is this data to you as the executive director of a medical control authority? And what types of uses are you seeing it used for? It's
4: extraordinarily critically valuable. We can't survive without it because we can't move our system forward without it. That's probably the most important takeaway. We have always, since I started in 1996, we've always valued data and it used to be in a written run report. eh? And then we kind of started moving toward should we uh, try to get tech savvy and, and do different things with it. And we struggled and struggled, but And it was very labor intensive to even do one study or two studies a year, it was so labor intensive with 50 some agencies in Oakland County. So when it went to electronic, I mean, I had my pros and cons about it, but it is incredibly, critically invaluable. And again, moving our system forward, understanding protocol evolution, that's critical for it. And then lately, we've been going out to our agencies and asking, answering questions of why should they be putting in all those runs? Our, you know, of course, in protocol, it's every time you're called for service, if it's not a fire suppression call, and that's how we sort of define it. And they're like, well, we just went and did, you know, uh, put grandma back in bed and we didn't do any assessment. I said, did you ask her if she was okay? You did an assessment. And just that realization to some of our providers is amazing and how valuable it is for them to have that data so that when they can show all the assists that they did, which are really medicals, they can go back to their township or city and say, we need support. We need more people hired. We need more X. We need more Y. And I think from a medical control authority standpoint, those are the most critical pieces
1: bonnie i'm gonna i'm gonna stay with you for a little bit right here i've heard some rumblings that maybe it's not so much now but the reports are just not reliable the data is not reliable is this a documentation problem is this a data element problem or are we just sifling through some rumors right
4: now so it's probably a little bit of both so on the data committee that's our committee to try to work through validating and as johnny and amelie so eloquently put it What we're in now, this version is so much better than what it used to be so much better. I mean, like miles difference. Uh, So we are getting much more cleaner, validated data. We're working through some issues with software vendors, which is a milestone to be able to get through. Uh, And then, you know, in the outcome, now we can actually look and say, okay, what are actual education issues with documentation do we need to get out there? And this is our year in RMCA to do education. It's all documentation, the year of documentation. Emily knows this very well. She's been so supportive and helpful for us to create this education. And we're kind of rolling out this year to see how it takes. And we're going out and we're actually getting into the agencies and talking to providers about it and why it's so important on so many different levels. Uh, And a question came up. I, and I know it's is a little off topic, but a question came up from one of our providers. Well, why do I have to put all these lift assists in? Well, let's say you have a frequent flyer and she needs or he needs some kind of resources that you can't get that person. And every time you document and provide that PCR that you were there and you provide this care, that's data and ammunition for that person to get more care. What, however it might be, it might be a public health issue, it might be, uh, it might be other things, but it's, it's a way to get them care. You're giving care to your residents that is so important to have it all documented and why it's so
0: important. So Bonnie, does, does your medical control, do you feel, are you able to rely on reports that come out of my MSIS right now?
4: We are starting to get much better validated reports. They're looking so much better. About a year and a half ago, we started comparing what our agencies were telling us they were doing in, my, in EPCRs and the number that were actually in AMSIS. So I got that idea because of the data committee, gosh, maybe it's almost two years now. Uh, so every quarter, all 50 of our LSAs report the number of uh, EPCRs that they have submitted and the transports where they've gone to. And then we take all that information in AMSIS and compare it. And the numbers are getting closer and closer and closer together every quarter that we've been doing that. So it's kind of showing me and you know Emily and Johnny who has been helping so much with this, that yes, we're getting much more validated data.
0: Good, and, and I think that just from my perspective, that that is where we're at because uh, there's been a couple recent examples of where I've gotten feedback, like from one of our MCAs, or actually I got some feedback from um, Justin Allen regarding some stroke data. And uh, there was some data that was not coming through well from my organization. And then that gave me the ability to do some troubleshooting and go to our vendor and ask a few questions because usually I don't really understand exactly what is going on. So I have to ask some questions, but eventually we were able to make a couple of changes to our PCR and I think we're going to get better data. I haven't actually seen any data since we made those changes, but I'm confident that that's what's going to happen. So I, I think that it feels to me like that's the point we're at right now where the MCAs and the state and the agencies, we all kind of have to work together to look at what's coming through well and what isn't and, and work with our vendors to try to improve the quality of the data.
4: Couldn't agree more. And Justin's done the same thing with us in the last few years with our stroke study to be able to look at all right, this is how many they reported to us. How many do you see on your end? And we found the first year, like a half, uh, two dozen that weren't reported correctly or didn't make it in as a stroke. And we were able to fix the problem. That's the amazing thing is when we all work together, we can really fix this and move our system forward.
0: Emily, do you have any examples of some reporting and how the reporting can be used to the benefit of uh, maybe, you know, at a state level from a policy level, how can the data be used?
3: So I'm gonna kind of loop it into protocols because that's that's sure. my jam.
0: <laughs> sure.
3: So, and Bonnie's seen this happen now, and this is primary because the QATF, the Quality Assurance Task Force, that's where the protocols really come from. Um, and now, from 2017 when i started to now how we come to a conclusion is a different process. So someone will bring this is a new one that just happened last month BLS units carrying zofran which as a paramedic you were like what? Like but think about it ODT zofran for those of you who aren't clinical it's a pretty benign medication but it was like the best invention ever. It really saved a lot of um, ambulances from being vomited upon. So (laughs) it really was a great thing. So what happened was, is we went and in real time, were able to go pull data, look and see how much Zofran was being administered, look and see if people were documenting complications and how often those complications were happening across the state. In within a couple of minutes, we had the answer of Zofran's being given a whole awful lot. Really, honestly, it's in the the top three medications that we give. And it is getting, there are literally no complications. And when I first started in 2017, the data tools that we had, there was no way we would have been able to do that in real time, that it would have been completely unheard of. So when People, paramedics specifically, why does the state want to take that away? Why do they want to give it to us? Why, you know, what, what's the story? We are really using people's actual documentation to decide whether or not to continue a given treatment path, to add something new. All of that is being monitored all of the time so that we have a good idea of what's actually helping or what might be hindering it kind of the whole process. And that includes like timing is, you know, is there a specific medication that's we're giving to patients and then it's taking longer, you're spending more time on scene, you're less able to turn around. There's all sorts of different things that you can look at now that we could, we couldn't look at it before, because honestly, 2.2 was such a jumbled mess that most of the time we couldn't understand it. So because 3.4 is vastly more accurate, we can look at it and go, okay, we have 100,000 records where this happened. And it happens safely 99,000 times of those 100,000. That's really good. And we should continue moving forward with it.
0: Emily, can you talk about biospatial? That is something that is newer. And I know on the data committee that uh, you guys talk about that quite a bit. So Uh, Explain to our listeners what Biospatial is and how that is being used.
3: So Biospatial um, is newer in the office than I am. It's an interesting thing. They came and presented to us the first time they came. It was one of those things that we thought this cannot possibly be real. It is too good to be true. And there's going to be some other shoe. And, you know, it's been three years now and we've been waiting for the other shoe to drop and they have yet it is yet to happen. I do joke around with them on the regular that someday they're gonna fall from their pedestal and it's gonna be a really, really long fall. But what it is, it's a data platform that's web-based that can be um, accessed from any tool. It's mobile friendly, et cetera. Um, that takes all of, well, not all, most of our data from my Emsys, puts it into this platform and then creates analytical tools around that Um, data. So it will create graphs, you can export um, pretty large amounts of data in real time, you can monitor agency to agency, you can benchmark different things, um, all kind of in a friendly, more understandable platform. And what I really like about Biospatial for actually agencies specifically is for people who are not data people, people who are not gonna take an Excel file and create pivot tables and calculate statistics and all of that stuff, Biospatial is the place you wanna be. You do not wanna be in MyEmsis digging around in the actual codes and numbers and trying to create a report because you can do that wrong, one, creating a report is difficult and it inc- uses a lot of logic and i don't mean like common sense logic i mean like actual logic where biospatial already has that built in for you so it has syndromes in the system so if i say i want to look at cardiac arrest patients i click one thing and it shows me all the cardiac arrest patients if i want to see covid-19 we use it, we i use it probably 5 times a day for covid-19 these days but There's a COVID-19 syndrome that we worked to build with, with biospatial that if you ever look at it, it's amazing because it is predictive. EMS, we don't have testing, right? We're going into people's houses before they've tested positive for coronavirus. And our curve is just ahead of the testing curve, which should make sense to anyone who understands EMS. Like, we are able, because this tool is so real time and so accurate, you can actually see these things. And that's what it was built to do. It was built to do a biosurveillance function for the federal government. And they've just kind of built it out. And so we use it all of the time for bunches, bunches of different things. And if you are an agency and you are not utilizing this tool, I'm sorry, I'm gonna snake oil sale as uh, Dr. Fails always says. Um, you should be reaching out to our office so we can show it to you because MCAs and e- agencies can have access to this tool. And it really does make data more accessible and usable um, in, a, in a safer way where you're not going to damage a system or get an error message, etc. It's, it's a
0: data tool for people who aren't data people. The data that is coming out of biospatial is is actually my MSIS data. Is correct. That correct. Yep.
3: Mm-hmm. So it it's the same. Have, yep. Yep. It's same, the same data. Mm-hmm, but yeah. de-identified. Yep.
0: Okay. So agencies and MCA should be using biospatial because it's to their advantage to be doing so.
3: Yeah. And. It's interesting, we have, <laughs> we've had some people who left agencies and went to hospitals and the first thing they did when they went to the hospital was, hey, can I have a hospital access to biospatial and that's not how the tool actually works. They are launching a hospital tool outside of, outside of us, but it really changes people's ability to utilize data. And especially for people who are not, um, I don't know, I, I worked in Striker before I came to the state office. Now I've worked in trying Trend Elite and the reporting ability. I mean, it'll push out a whole bunch of Excel files for you but if you don't know what to do with those, ex- well CSV files, if you don't know what to do with those files or how to extrapolate those numbers into real information, you're gonna struggle where the Biospatial tool does that all for you in the platform.
0: And I can understand how big that it, that is because I, I'm one of those people. Okay, I'm a paramedic who, like many of us, who grew up into being an agency leader and uh, I'm not an expert on data and I'm not an expert on running reports and manipulating data. And uh, it's, it's been challenging over the years to understand all of this and, and try to help make the data better. So anything like that that we can do to get good information as easy as possible, I think is really, really beneficial. So, Bonnie, do you have anything you'd like to add as far as biospatial from from the M- MCA perspective?
4: I think that it's just another amazing tool, actually so much easier to use than ImageTrend. Uh, and so I think all MCAs should have access, all agencies should have access to see their data. They can pull so many cool reports at the agency level like we can at the MCA level. And there's so much further we could take our systems because of it.
0: I guess I would ask maybe all three of you or Emily and Johnny, if that's true, then are you planning to do some training or education for for us uh, down the road? Like maybe in the fall at the state conference, even though I know it's going to be virtual. Um, can we get some, some training on that to help all of us understand, you know, probably how to use Myemsis better as well as biospatial?
3: So I'm going to say for the Myemsis side, we won't do a training for Myemsis again until we can be in person. That tool, I'm going to be honest, it is not reliable enough for us to be able to run. We've tried to do webinars using MyEMSIS before and the tool has failed um because in essence everyone logging into the system at the same time and they're trying to extrapolate things the system couldn't handle it very well and the problem with that is is that if we're in a virtual platform we're kind of stuck. But biospatial absolutely We, we can absolutely do that. We've done it um a few times we've done different virtual trainings for biospatial with different groups of individuals. Um, these are the trainings that I prefer to have in person, but I will do them virtually. These ones are hard because I like to be able to, you know, see what you see kind of thing um, because I can tell you and show you on a screen or Johnny can show you on a screen what we're doing, but I can't. we can't verify that you're getting it when it's virtual, it's the hardest hardest thing to do are these virtual trainings. So the answer is biospatial for sure. Yes, we can do, um, if anybody wants training on it, um, like we have one Friday of next week with the health departments because the health departments now have um, limited access, I should say, not full access, but limited access to biospatial. Um, So we have a training with them, but anybody can come to it. It's the general user interface is the same regardless of what data you can access. but yeah, MyEMSIS. I think that those report writer trainings and Johnny, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong on this. I think that they need to wait until we're able to be back in person.
2: Now that's spot on. The it's a different language, and uh, unlike Biospatial, where you can, it's it's more intuitive. You can you can click around, and as as Emily said, you can't really mess anything up when you start picking through the the MyEMSIS system. Depending on your access. You could change other people's written reports. So there's, there's several layers of security because it's such a granular chunk of data. You want to be careful of who's got access and, and the resources just aren't there.
0: I know I have attended in the past some trainings and honestly, it's been several years. Uh, probably when we were still meeting up at Shanty Creek for the MCA conferences up there I attended some trainings and, and to be real honest, I walked away feeling like I didn't get a lot out of it as an EMS agency, you know, manager, um, trying to understand what I needed to do to, to help make our data better. And I, I still would, would love some assistance with that. Um, and it's it's difficult because right now in Michigan, we're in an environment where many of us, myself included, we're having to be back out on the road because staffing is so tight. Uh, and that just makes it even harder. That, you know, that that takes part of my work week. Um, and then just dealing with everything else that goes into running an EMS agency, uh, having time and and the knowledge to be able to work on on data, it's, it's, it's difficult right now. So anything that you guys can do to help support us uh, would be very, very beneficial. So like some virtual training, you know, would be really beneficial.
3: Well, I'm sure that our panel, Angelo over there will help us schedule some, <laughs> some virtual trainings. And it's hard as, and I would highly encourage it to be an agency specific training Because what Bonnie's looking for on a training, like once you get the user interface down and this is how you log in and this is how you, you know, this is how you get to the different dashboards, like the actual drilling into the data pieces, what you're looking for, Craig, from the Life EMS perspective, because it has a whole bunch of stuff on demand analysis and times and wall time and all this other stuff that like Bonnie probably doesn't spend a lot of time looking at that piece. Does she care? Yes, but not the same way that she does about clinical pieces. So the focus is a little bit different, I think, depending on different buckets of users in essence. So like the health department, they're really focused on these aggregate huge amounts of data about specific things. You know, the MCA is looking at everybody together, but also looking at outliers agency perspective. And then an agency is looking at your whole system, but also are there outliers inside your system that are creating issues? Whether it be because something's coming from your software that way, or because of person is creating some sort of issue. So it's like everybody looks at it from a little bit of a different perspective. So an agency specific biospatial training, we have not, I don't think done one that's really agency driven. We've done a couple of MCA ones and stuff like that. We haven't done one specifically around agencies. And I would actually invite biospatials to come and help with that one because the agency tools I haven't dug into a whole lot because again, it's just not not the place I
1: spend most of my time anymore. So Craig just tiptoed on the number of provider issue the as we here at Moz have defined crisis that we are facing here right. not just statewide but nationally as well I'm gonna throw a hard curveball at you right now Nemesis, I think has Johnny correct me if I'm wrong 430 data elements I realize we don't I don't think we include all of those but the whole point, is a collaborative data set that is based on the point of care. How is it that we collect quality data while realizing that our practitioners are concerned about time on call, making sure they make it to the next one because they're backed up back to back to back and they're working really, really hard.
2: So your question is how do we maintain a level of proficiency
1: how do we maintain the level and quality of data that we're getting uh, through the ePCR when we are in absolute crisis mode with the number of practitioners we have out there and the amount of work they're they're having to do specifically on patient care let alone the reporting piece
2: how did we used to do it on paper i mean you could you can backdate and and call after call after call after call back in the the paper days you can have notes scribbled down but then you still have to remember the the specifics of, of the call before you you know turn in your your paperwork at the end of the shift so it's it's really no different you can't change I'll
1: push back right there i think our practitioners are different right now and they are highly motivated and used to using an electronic device i think i think we are diff- dealing with a completely different subset of individuals of people of humans as emily likes to call them
2: the the, the
3: I get in trouble calling them providers
2: <laughs> the distinction the only distinction I was trying to make was it's it's no different between paper documentation tool and the electronic documentation tool you're still a human running a call and documenting the call whether it be on paper or be electronically and I bent through it through the system uh, once you're more familiar with the platform it, it does become easier, and it helps guide your thought process through the call, I think. So we're still human beings entering pieces of information into a computer instead of writing them down on a piece of paper. But if it's not written down or typed in, then the old adage, if, if it wasn't written down, it never happened. So creating the environment to contain that information and then to make it mean something to every provider has been the challenge since day one. As we move on, it's only gonna get better.
3: Fair point, Emily. So I'm gonna kind of pigtail off of what Johnny said and take it to the point of, and this is not saying that people are not doing this, but I think that we could be better at making our documentation tools better and more efficient. So from the perspective of I documented, electronically for, uh, let's see, 11 years Um, and watching the data system. The first system was terrible. Um, The most recent system was not (laughs) fantastic, but it's getting better. And this is hard also Craig, because you're already being pulled in 47 directions as leadership, but we can make the documentation tools more efficient for them to make it more intuitive for their documentation. So, for example, you set up rules, and this is something we're not doing a very good job of in our state, and I can, uh, from our documentation in Elite, we're not doing a very good job of using the rules that are, exist and are available to create a PCR, a standard form, that when I pick primary impression of stroke, it highlights the things that I need to fill out for stroke, so I get drawn to those things. And most documentation tools, I can't say all because I don't know all of them, most of them will help providers do that if the rules are set up on the backside, which kind of pushes a workload that's already terrible on a different people. But I think that that will actually help. If the documentation doesn't feel like I'm digging around trying to find something, it will be better. And I know, for example, that elite isn't great because when we were working on stroke project, I tried to find where to put in a Cincinnati stroke scale and I couldn't find it. Well, I shouldn't have to struggle as someone who's documented electronically for more than a decade to struggle in a tool to find where something that is so important should go. I knew I needed to put it in there. I was looking for it and I had a hard time finding it. So it's on us in our office and hopefully maybe someday when coronavirus is not taking up so much of our time, we'll be able to do that and create these kinds of rules. But that same goes with each agency working with every vendor that they're with and saying, these are the things that will help our people, our humans do a better job, but also feel like it's easier, like together.
0: And Emily, I want to go back to a suggestion you made a few minutes ago about doing agency specific training about biospatial, which um, I'll take you up on that by the way, okay? We'll, We'll be the first to sign up. But my suggestion to all of you is, I think what would be a great way to go about this would be to do vendor specific gatherings um, where you get users such as like like let's say Striker Healthy MS um, get the users of Striker Healthy MS together in a room with you guys or okay maybe a virtual room and with Striker there so that we could all work together uh, and talk about the problems, the issues, the questions, and the solutions. I think that we would all collectively. Um, benefit from that. But I know that some of the challenges are vendor specific, and I think that that would be a great place for us to start.
2: We're actually in in process of creating, not necessarily with our involvement, Craig, but with the agencies that use vendors trying to, trying to pair people up. I mean, just like you said, it would be nice if you could sit in a room, virtual room, with other Striker users and there might be experts, so to speak, and, and folks that are having some challenges that are new to the system. Right. And we're all on the same team. You can just help each other out.
3: Yeah. It was like you had a spy in our office. Yeah,
2: <laughs> We're already talking about it, brother.
3: We we already, Kevin's supposed to be pulling together the information to create, we're calling them vendor user groups,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but in essence creating these vendor user groups because I don't know, I mean, I I know how to use the old version of Striker, right? It's a new version now since the last time I was on the backside. Like I have a general idea of how it works, but I have never been on the backside of Zoll. I've never been on the backside of Alpine. I don't have any idea, like there's an ESO. There's all sorts of these vendors that like, and we don't have the capacity to know that. So why not utilize the people that we have? So creating these vendor user groups that we can learn from just enough to be dangerous probably. <laughs> but also, so if, you know, Craig, you get stuck and you're like, hey, I know Joe Beatty over at Emergent Health and he's a striker guy and maybe he has some sort of idea as to how this happens, um, then we can create this network so that when there, for example, is a Schematron change, it isn't just one person checking to see if they got it in an email so we don't lose the data and have to backtrack like we are right now. So yes, the vendor user group thing, that is, uh, I'm not letting that one die on the vine. It's, (laughs) we're poking Kevin left and right, trying to get this particular project off the ground because you're right. Like we really need to work an agency with 10 people might have one user who is so smart about it that they could help an agency that has 600 people. And we just don't, we just don't know it. So we're just trying to get everybody kind of grouped into their little vendor groups and then... Try to foster these partnerships
0: and in fairness i i want to say that striker has done that of their own accord i have personally attended either two or three uh, user group gatherings that they have hosted probably in the last eight years and they've been really really beneficial and you know an agency like mine uh, we can leverage our relationship with the vendors you know to prompt them to help you guys get something like that scheduled So you're definitely on the right track.
2: Keep prompting.
0: (laughs) Happy to do that. I think there's uh, maybe one big question yet, and this would, I guess it could be to any of the three of our guests. I've heard a lot of talk in the last several years that sort of the holy grail of the overall QI process would be to get patient outcome data from the hospitals. So I just wondered if, um, and as far as I know, we're still really not getting much in the way of patient outcome data. So I just thought we should probably touch on that topic and, and uh, see kind of where do we stand? And is that still something that is very important for us to get?
1: I don't think I've seen Bonnie sit that straight up that fast ever.
0: <laughs> All right.
4: That has been something that I have been wanting for over two decades. And we are there to some degree. We have an HDE product that we're using in Oakland County with about six of our hospitals, where that exact same thing happens. They put it into whatever PCR software they have, and it goes to the hospital. And then the hospital is prompted to fill out so many fields to give the feedback to the agency directly. We as the MCA get to get all that data as well. I mean, we get so much great data from this. I just wish all of our hospitals would jump on it as soon as possible. But it has taken, it's a good thing to do uh, with a smaller amount of hospitals, like one hospital system, because we could work out the bugs before it goes like viral to where it's all of our hospitals. Yes, wonderful data. I think it's incredibly invaluable for QI or educating our providers on and just to give them, you know, yay, we did it right. Or, Oh shoot. We need to learn from that. Whatever it is good, bad, or indifferent. It's good day to come back to our providers. Our humans. Our humans. That's right. The humans. (laughs) I'm going to throw one more thing into there because
3: apparently I have not sold enough biospatial today. Um, We did get a data use agreement signed for biospatial to start receiving our trauma data, So um, we will have, for trauma patients specifically, they are going to probabilistically match um, patients once we start putting trauma data in. So crash data specific, or crash patients specifically, we will be able to track because we have now crash data in biospatial EMS data and the hospital trauma data. So we'll be able to watch a patient from the time of incident to the time of discharge which is pretty awesome. And we have not been able to do that before. And I can think like end game on this. If we had a semi and a stroke systems of care, similar to trauma, then we would could also theoretically have said repository and hook that in as well. And then we would have another way. Um, you know, obviously that's not tomorrow or anything, but we have the data use agreements in place that hopefully by like third quarter of this year, we will be able to look at a patient across from time of incident to discharge. And that's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, that sounds great.
2: Greg. I can speak a little bit to that as well. And the 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 goal is to close the loop between hospital and EMS. It's always been a gap to, to figure out if, like Bonnie said, when you drop off the patient, you were you were close. You were spot on, or way off base, and and you don't know because you don't have all the diagnostic tools that the hospital does. Right. So we are working at the state level. There's a product called Hospital Hub that has the ability to capture outcome data from the ER. So I am working with Justin Allen, actually, on the, on the stroke standpoint. He's got a couple of contacts in uh, two hospitals that we're piloting. Um, we've got a couple of workflows outlines as how we think it would work once they get the patient from EMS, do their diagnostic testing, discharge the patient, whether it be to to further care, critical care, rehab facility, or home, how that information gets back to my EMSS and then back to the EMS agencies. So again, it's a work in progress.
0: Okay, Angela, one final question, if we have time. And that is, uh, you guys have alluded already in our discussion to Nemesis 3.5. So c- can you give us a little bit of an idea of what's coming with 3.5?
3: On the surface, it is not the revolutionary change that 2.2 to 3.4 was or whatever the first three was. We skipped over that one in Michigan. So I know there were different threes before 3.4, but we skipped them. It is breaking down things a little bit more, a lot focused around disposition of the patient, kind of to support the ET3 and treat in place. Let's move EMS beyond we're transportation service. It makes me shake my fist in the air. Every time someone says that to me, I'm not a transportation service. None of you guys are, Um, that's just one piece. Of your job. Um, So it will break down the disposition a little bit to uh, allow for more specific as opposed to you just treat it in place and signed off for protocol. It will kind of fan that out a little bit. Um, So that's, I think the best way is like, there's just going to be a few more pieces. It's not a huge, I mean, from 2.2 to 3.4 was like this crazy leap do I think that the transition will go smoothly? No, because I'm a cynic at heart. I'm a paramedic, right? It's always going to go poorly. That's the way that it works. It's gonna, We're going to crash and burn, but that's okay. We'll get there. But the good thing for people to know is that it is not going to be a huge leap for the people putting the data into the system. It's going to be a few extra checkboxes, a few extra choices. It should not be like, holy smokes, what does that question even mean? It should just be a natural stepping point. And if we could do all of our transitions a little bit at a time, as opposed to like amputating a cancerous tumor like we did with 2.2, it would probably be a lot a lot simpler generally, but that's, that's the plan. The plan is it for it to be a smooth and relatively non-traumatic transition to 3.5.
0: Sounds good.
3: Could you put a virtual asterisk by that, Angela? <laughs> I, will,
1: say. <laughs> I will definitely asterisk that for you.
3: Thank you, everybody, for taking
1: some time out of your afternoon to join us on the Moz Monthly podcast. Any uh, parting words for our listeners today? Johnny Wagner, EMS Data Coordinator for the state of Michigan. We'll start with you.
2: Document every call every time on whatever platform you got. It all means something and the the better data we get. I get to steal everybody's thunder because I'm going first, the more impact we can have on a a positive note to the system as a whole.
3: Swinging over to you, Emily Burkwest, MCA coordinator. So I'm going to do the uplifting piece here. What they're doing, what the agencies and the humans are doing right now is so incredibly important. And we have come to you time and time again over the last uh, 14 months now and said, will you please help? and you have said yes, (laughs) and you keep saying yes, and that there's no way for us to say thank you enough for the important and really, really, really valuable work that you do. And I do not say these things all of the time, but EMS is my passion. I didn't come into the state office because I wanted to get away from it. I'm a paramedic, I believe in you guys. I would be out there if I thought Kathy might not strangle me. for putting myself out there. But thank you. Thank you for doing what you're doing right now, um, all the way from the medical first responders to the agency CEOs. Thanks for saying yes. And thanks for putting yourself out there right now.
1: Bonnie Kincaid, Executive Director of Oakland County Medical Control Authority. It's a tough that's that's hard
4: to follow. It's a hard one to follow. Emily, you did so well, Johnny. I'm gonna take the patient care perspective. What you document is so critically important to the doctors and nurses that are taking over the care of your patient. This is your patient from the get-go. And what you document matters. What you every single thing that you put in there matters. It may not even matter as much in the ED as it does to the cardiologist that knows that you gave amiodarone or you didn't. Uh, It matters to every every step along the way from patient being admitted to discharge. It matters what you document.
1: My illustrious co-host, Craig Dodge. Any final words for today's podcast episode?
0: No, I just want to thank our, our guests for joining us. I think it was a really good conversation. And uh, I, I know I, I have some takeaways and some things I learned and, and I appreciate them taking the time to be with us today.
1: I agree, Craig. And I did want to add, Johnny, did you have something else you wanted to add in there?
2: Just saying, I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Excellent. We too, like Emily said, appreciate all of the uh, humans that are out on the road 24-7, 365. But right back at all of you who are doing the hard work um, in the office behind the scenes, you you really do a lot of supporting work for our agencies, for our providers, for our humans, um, and for our everyday heroes working out there on the front lines. So thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Moz Monthly Podcast. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Moz Monthly Podcast, the go-to source for information about Michigan's EMS system. Be sure to visit miambulance.org slash podcast to join the conversation and access other important information from the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services.